0: All this will flow from the kind and compassionate mercy of our God. A new day is dawning. The sunrise from the heavens will break through in our darkness and those who huddle in night, those who sit in the shadow of death will be able to rise and walk in the light guided in the pathway of peace. So good morning, Advent Hope family. Today marks the end of the first week of the advent. And as I mentioned in my talk with Alex, I'm a teacher by training, so bear with me. I'm going a little old school today. I'm using real whiteboards for those of us who are visual learners. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about the word advent. So it actually comes from the Latin word for arrival, adventus. And it's a word with an emphasis on anticipation or waiting. Now, if this word feels familiar to you, it's because our faith tradition emphasizes the second Advent, our belief that Jesus will return to set things right in the world, erase death and suffering, and thus our name, Seventh-day Adventists. In many liturgical faith traditions, each of the four weeks prior to Christmas mark a week of Advent, and they have a corresponding theme. So week one is hope, week two, preparation, week three, joy, and week four, love. Historically, Christians have embraced this season as one of spiritual preparation, and we see that reflected in many of the readings during Advent that explore this theme of dark versus light. One that's really well known comes from Isaiah 9 The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. We are very familiar with that from the work of Handel's Messiah. I suspect it's not just a coincidence that the season of Advent comes in early December, when we here in the Northern Hemisphere are enduring our darkest, shortest days of the year. Um, Just this week at work, we were talking about how here in Maine, you know, the sun comes up around seven, it sets around four, the days are so short, and it does feel like we're just kind of hanging on until things turn around and the light comes back again. Ironically, the Advent isn't a season of emphasis in the Adventist faith tradition. And I don't know if this is a modern phenomenon or if it's uniquely American or maybe it's just human nature. But we tend to want to skip right past that season of darkness and waiting and then just dive right into the rejoicing and the celebration and all the wild joy that comes with Christmas. We certainly see that here in America where our stores you know, have all the Christmas things even before Thanksgiving. But I find this year in particular, I'm drawn to the message of the Advent, this season of indefinite waiting, of practicing hope when the world around me seems dark. So today we'll be exploring the season of the Advent, how Advent is intricately connected with hope and how we can practice hope in the dark seasons of our lives. So as I started reading and researching this connection between hope and the Advent, I realized that these concepts fall into a very common pattern that we see in life, we see in nature, we see in literature, and we see in the Bible. And it is what the author, Joseph Campbell, referred to as the hero's journey. Um, It's a very popular work. In fact, the folks who work at Pixar refer to Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey as they create stories that we're very familiar with. Um, So, it can sort of be divided into three phases, beginning, middle, end. In the world of theater, or in the world of movies, they usually divide this into act one, act two, and act three. So, here in act one, our hero, our protagonist, is called on a journey, and there's usually some kind of an inciting incident toward the end of act one that propels them into action. So, you know, in your mind you can think of these epic quests like Lord of the Rings, um, Frodo going on this epic journey. In act two, our hero starts to look for an easy way to solve the problem, but it's to no avail. So they endure trials, tribulations, it's a sense of the abyss, they go through either a symbolic or a real grave. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I have two small children and we have watched Frozen 2 about a million times. So in Frozen 2, Anna in the cave, after Olaf has died, this is act two, this is the middle. Harry Potter, when Voldemort kills him, um, that real death, that is the middle, that is act two. And in the last act, in the end, our hero, comes through that middle act, is transformed, is resurrected, experiences some kind of return, some kind of resolution. Um, So as you start to think about the stories you're familiar with, I think you'll begin to see this pattern. We also see it in the seasons around us. So as I think about um, we have fall, winter, and spring. So in fall, it's a time of harvest, as we move into winter, we move into this time of dormancy, this time of darkness where things appear dead. Um, it, it can be very, it can feel very desolate. And as we reach the spring, we then see the new life. We see this throughout the Bible as well, the same pattern. So Jonah, I've uh, kind of been reading about Jonah and, you know, he was a well-known prophet of the Lord. In his act one, he receives the command from God but he doesn't want to go on this journey. So he spends his middle act two in the belly of a whale, which is sort of a symbolic grave, if you will. And by act three or the end, he reaches Nineveh, he fulfills God's command. We see this with Jesus on the cross. So Friday, the crucifixion, Sabbath, that middle section of resting, waiting, death, his disciples feeling hopeless, feeling desperate, and then Sunday, the resurrection, Act Three, where we see this new life. The same thing with the children of Israel in the Exodus, where in the beginning they leave, they have the Exodus in their middle section in Act Two, they're in the wilderness. They spend some real quality time wandering in the wilderness, probably not, you know, a highlight of their journey, a lot of despair. Uh, and then finally in the end, they move to the promised land we see this in Job. He's another one I've been reading a lot of. So he starts his story in peace and prosperity, but very shortly thereafter, he loses everything. In his middle section, he is literally sitting in ashes. Talk about symbolism there. Um, So many deaths, such a difficult, dark season for him. But by the end, he is restored to family and to his riches. So I've got some kind of good news, bad news about this hero's journey. You know, I wrote this as a grid, but Joseph Campbell actually says that this is a cycle. So beginning, middle, end, back to beginning, middle, end. It's a cycle. We're not going to stay in any one phase permanently. So good news, bad news. If you're in a beginning, if you're in act one section, that feels really good right now. but Uh, Item number two about the good news, bad news is we are all going to experience that middle act in some fashion in our lives. That might be illness, that might be the death of a loved one, divorce, job loss, addiction. Um, I don't know what it will look like for you, but we will all experience it in some fashion. And the third piece of news about this hero's journey is that we don't get to skip the messy middle section. I think about that children's board book, uh, Bear Hunt. We're going on a bear hunt. Can't go over it, can't go under it, we gotta go through it. That's what this section is, this messy middle, this time of waiting, this time of dormancy, we don't get to skip it. And you know, we heard this cycle referenced on last week's Thanksgiving service with Christine and Rebecca and Jeffrey. These were stories of our Advent Hope family going through that tough, messy middle section of their lives and coming out on the other end in their act three. For me personally, 2019 was very much a messy middle and act two in my life as my mom died after a long struggle with cancer last fall. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann identified this same cycle in his well-known book, The Message of the Psalms. So he suggests that our lives and the Psalms reflect a very similar um, cycle, but he characterizes them with slightly different language. So in the Psalms, we have three different phases or seasons we might be in. So the first is orientation followed by disorientation. And then step three, act three is new, orientation. And just like we saw with the hero's journey, this is a cycle. So Psalms of orientation. When we're in a place of orientation or if we're reading a Psalm of orientation, everything makes sense in life. Good things happen to good people. Um, Bad things happen to bad people. Justice is done. The world is well-ordered and reliable. Examples of this would be Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Your glory is higher than the heavens. Or Psalm 34, the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely overtake the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned." Did you catch that language there? Good things happening to people who follow the Lord, bad things happening to people who don't follow the Lord. You know, That's a world that we we like. We like that place of orientation. However, we don't get to stay in that place of orientation. So what follows are the Psalms of disorientation. Think about the language there. If you're disoriented, you've lost your way. In a phase of disorientation or a psalm of disorientation, nothing makes sense anymore. We've sunk into a pit of despair. It's what some authors call the dark night of the soul. And we see this all throughout the Bible and especially in the Psalms. Psalm 22 is a great example, a well-known one that Jesus cried out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. I think sometimes we're a little shocked. I know I am to hear that kind of language in the Bible, but these are very much included in our Psalms and they reflect the season that the Psalmist or the author was in following this stage of disorientation we move into new orientation or i sometimes think reorientation so we've come through that dark difficult middle disorientation and we now have a deeper understanding of god in our lives he's lifted us out of the pit of despair we are aware of our limitations we feel gratitude to god as we reflect on how we got through how we got over examples of this are psalm 98 sing a new song to the lord for he has done wonderful deeds his right hand has won a mighty victory his holy arm has shown his saving power he has remembered his promise to love and be faithful to israel the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our god another example of this uh, was miriam's song in exodus 15 so as the children of israel had left egypt they had come to the red sea you know, moment of terror, darkness, feeling like the end was right there, and God miraculously brought them through to the other side and destroyed Pharaoh's army. Miriam says, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. So, just like our hero's journey, these phases, these psalms, fit right in here. So, we have orientation disorientation, and then new orientation. We will be continually going through these seasons, these phases throughout our lives. So I have a question for you today, Advent Hope family. Guess where we are in this pandemic journey of 2020? Right here. We are smack dab in the middle The messy middle, the dark night of the soul, the point of no return, this phase of disorientation, a time of darkness, quiet, waiting. This is the advent. This is what the advent is about. A promise has been given, but the promise is not yet fulfilled. I don't know about you, but back in March, I had this big push of adrenaline and I was going to learn French and master sourdough, but that was nine months ago. And now, We are too far in to turn around and we're not close enough to the end to see the light yet. It reminds me of these beloved biking trails back in Wisconsin um, called Tunnel Trails. They're in central Wisconsin. And the state of Wisconsin took these old railroad tracks and turned them into gravel bike paths. And I've been biking on these since I was small enough to ride on the back of my dad's bicycle so as we would bike on these trails they still had the tunnels thus the name tunnel trails from the old railroad and i remember wheeling my bike through these dark tunnels and at some point i would stop and look behind me and i couldn't really see where i'd come in and i would look ahead and i couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel that is where we are right now We are in that dark, messy middle, that tunnel where we can't necessarily see the end. So in this season of Advent, as we try to practice hope, where does hope live? I would suggest that hope actually lives right in the middle. The promise has been given to us, but we're not in Act 3. It hasn't been fulfilled. Romans 8, verse 24 through 25 says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what she sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I want to just repeat that one phrase because it really jumped out at me. Hope that is seen is not hope. So we don't need hope in the beginning of our journey or in Act 3 when everything has been resolved. Hope lives in that middle, in that dark season where we currently are. In our text of emphasis today, Zachariah was also living smack dab in the messy middle. He was in another Advent season. Hundreds of years earlier, a promise of a Messiah had been given. But now the Israelites are living in Roman-occupied Jerusalem and he's experiencing tremendous oppression the promise had been given but it was not yet fulfilled but somehow he still declares with hope a new day is dawning the sunrise from heaven will break through in our darkness how can zachariah declare that i would like to start by challenging our assumption that hope is a feeling so i think that we conflate hope the practice with feeling hopeful. I may not feel hopeful, but I can still practice hope. Uh, One of my favorite authors, um, author, speaker, researcher, Brené Brown from the University of Texas has done a lot of research on resilience and shame, and she's written about hope quite a bit. So two of the things that she noted, I think are worth um, including. In The Gifts of Imperfection, she says, Hope is not an emotion, it's a way of thinking. In her book, Daring Greatly, she says, hope is a function of struggle. So even though that might not sound like good news, struggle doesn't usually sound like good news to me, but what it does mean is that hope is a skill. That means we can learn it, we can practice it. To hope is a verb, there is action required. One of my favorite Bible passages encourages us to practice hope, the skill. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. We hold unswervingly to hope. So what is Zachariah's secret? How can we practice hope in these dark seasons of our lives when we're living right in the messy middle in the season of waiting in the dark night of the soul. As I've read and researched the concept of hope, I've come across a few practical suggestions that I'd like to share. So my first suggestion for practicing hope is to name the season that we're in. Naming our experiences gives us ownership over them And it helps remove the power they might otherwise have over us. It normalizes our experience. So saying aloud, I'm in a dark season. I'm in the messy middle. I'm in the tunnel. I can't see the end. Again, we see this pattern in the scriptures, such as the Psalms of disorientation we talked about earlier. David and the other authors of the Psalms had no problem crying out to God and naming their experiences. Um, If you want an interesting journey, read some of those psalms or some of Job this afternoon. Job was incredibly forthright in naming what he felt like, what he was experiencing and telling God about his misery. Uh, In Job 17, as one example, he says, my spirit is crushed and my life is nearly snuffed out. The grave is ready to receive me. I am surrounded by mockers. I watch how bitterly they taunt me. That's in our Bible. He is just naming his experience. He is really naming the season that he's in. In a more modern context, we also see this in songs like Lauren Daigle's Look Up Child, which for me personally has been almost an anthem for the last year or two. So the lyrics begin with, where are you now when darkness seems to win? Where are you now when the world is crumbling? And the song continues with God um, inviting her to look up. So step one in practicing hope is to name the season that we're in, remove its power over us and remind us that it is just that it's a season, it's temporary, it's passing. Step two in practicing hope is reflecting on how God has led us in the past both personally and collectively. We see this practice throughout scripture and in many faith traditions. I love gospel music and old spirituals, and these are great examples of collective remembrance of how God has led us in the past. Spirituals are coded messages of hope and resistance. They were born out of suffering, but yet they're focused on hope. Professor Robert Darden from Baylor University says this about spirituals. Songs of hope inhabit the darkness, surround the darkness, and in time, overcome the darkness. They are best sung in times of darkness, for that allows their power to shine through, sometimes a single voice at a time. A few of my favorite examples of these include the songs from Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace album, which is fantastic. But in particular, I love the song, Mary, Don't You Weep. Um, It's so encouraging, it's so edifying, but in the song, the singer and the choir are talking to Mary and Martha and advising them not to weep over the death of their brother Lazarus and admonishing the sisters to remember how Pharaoh's army was drowned, reflecting on how God has led us in the past. Go Down Moses is another great spiritual that reminded believers about God's deliverance of the Israelites. Um, That's the one that you've probably heard, let my people go. So the authors were themselves living in a dark season of oppression, but writing these songs of hope that looked back to how God had led them in the past. In a more modern context, Lauren Daigle's song, Remember, is another good example of this. So she says, in the darkest hour, when I cannot breathe, fear is on my chest, the weight of the world on me. Everything is crashing down, everything I had known. When I wonder if I'm all alone, I remember. You have always been faithful to me. Even when my eyes could not see, you were there. And she goes on to talk about how she has seen God make a way. She has seen giants fall and mountains move and waters part. Um, You know, I think the stories that many of us learned as kids and the stories we teach our kids now, Moses and Joseph and the great patriarchs, um, those are so powerful to remember during those dark seasons of our life, and to edify our hope and our faith. Last week's Thanksgiving service was another great example of this so sharing with each other, how God has led us through dark times in our lives. I found that so uplifting. In terms of personally reflecting, if you're someone who likes to write, keeping a gratitude or a prayer journal can be a very powerful way um, to reflect on how God has carried you through. So flip back to a year ago or a dark time in your life and spend some time remembering how you got over. So reflecting on how God has led us in the past strengthens our hope for the future. And then the third step in practicing hope is engaging in acts of service. There is a Buddhist saying, when you light a lantern for another, it will also brighten your own way. You know, as I look back on the dark seasons of my life, you know what I remember most? It's those small, outrageous acts of kindness from my fellow human beings when my mom died, I started getting handwritten notes of sympathy. So every day in October, 2019, I looked forward to the arrival of the mail truck because it meant another batch of cards and each one of those cards physically and tangibly represented love and hope and kindness. Uh, I actually kept all of those cards. My daughter made me this fancy Amazon box for them and I have them all in here, all the cards from the folks from last year, and I still go back. I periodically will go back and reread those. They brought me such hope. That can be us. We can be the reason for someone's hope. We can help restore their faith, and there's so many ways to do this, even in the midst of a pandemic. I think one thing that's so amazing about humans and it's our God-given ability is this creativity right we have found so many ways to bring hope to people even in pandemic so some examples loaning books to neighbors writing letters to friends living alone and i would advocate for handwriting letters to friends um, i think there's something so powerful about taking the time to handwrite someone a letter making and delivering meals or sending food I can name almost every meal that someone brought to our family while my mom was in hospice. I had a dear friend who delivered a giant trunk full of Trader Joe's groceries um, from South Portland up to here in Maine, and I will never forget that. Just keeping everyone fed was such a challenge, so that was the ultimate gift. If you're someone who's handy or you're outdoorsy, helping with outdoor chores or repairs, and here in the Advent Hope family, we have a lot of ways to get involved in acts of service. Donating to the healthcare heroes, the Bowery mission work that's been happening, so many opportunities to engage in acts of service. And again, as we are practicing hope, that is another way to help not only brighten the lives of others, but to also, by reflection, bring some light into our own lives. As we conclude today, I wanted to share one passage that's been meaningful to me lately. Um, As you might've guessed, I was, I still am a book nerd. I grew up reading C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Now my own girls adore these books, so we read and reread them. But as I was preparing this message, my mind was drawn back to a story in the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. If you're not familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, There's sort of an allegory, a Christian allegory. And Aslan is a lion. He's the Christ figure in this allegory. In this book, Lucy and Edmund accompany Prince Caspian on a sea voyage to find the seven missing lords of Narnia and to find Aslan's own country. Does that sound like a hero's journey to you? So, of course, because they're on this journey, they run into all sorts of trials. And one of them is particularly bleak. So C.S. Lewis talks about it as a darkness and he uses a capital D, which I think is very profound. He says, it's rather hard to describe, but if you will see what it was like if you imagine yourself looking into the mouth of a railway tunnel, a tunnel either so long or so twisty that you cannot see the light at the far end. So as the crew of the Dawn Treader, is enduring this darkness with a capital D, they begin to lose hope. They start to say, we shall never get out, we're steering wrong, and they begin to despair. And in the midst of this darkness, this despair, this hopelessness, Lucy cries out, Aslan, if you have ever loved us at all, send us help now. And C.S. Lewis writes, the darkness did not grow any less, but she began to feel a little, a very, very little better. And then as she continues to look, they see a figure of a cross, which becomes an albatross and begins to guide them. And this figure calls out in a strong, sweet voice, words that no one seems to understand. And as it circles the mast, it whispers to Lucy, courage, dear heart. And the voice she felt sure was Aslan's. Now, doesn't that bring to mind the same imagery as our text of emphasis? A new day is dawning. The sunrise from the heavens will break through in our darkness. And those of us who huddle in night, those of us who sit in the shadow of death will be able to rise and walk in the light, guided in the pathway of peace. As we move through the rest of this Advent season, the remainder of this difficult year that is 2020, however much more of this middle dark season we have, I encourage you to practice the skill of hope in your everyday life. Name the season that we're in, reflect on how God has led you in the past and engage in acts of service for others. By doing this, we can honor the Advent season and shine a little hope into our world. Thank you, Laura, for that encouraging message.